Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, good morning. It is September the 24th. 2022. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Thrilled to have you here. We're seeking to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of the day. So we start off with the Word of God, and I generally ask, where in the Word are you today? I'm going to pick up in Leviticus chapter 19. This is today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, which you can sign up to receive in your inbox at myfaithradio.com. Oh, hey, also, um, Really great day to go ahead and sign up for the Reading the Bible Together First Peter series. Um, you can do you can do that at myfaithradio.com. Um, we're going to be reading through First Peter together, and there's a, a podcast that goes along with it and study notes, and we're going to be doing that together here in a couple of weeks. So go ahead and sign up today at myfaithradio.com for the Reading the Bible Together um, series uh, on First Peter. It's also not too late to jump into the Strong in Battle online study with Susie Larson. I mean, you've missed a couple of weeks, but it doesn't matter. You can jump in right where you are, um, and so you can sign up for that at MyFaithRadio.com as well. All right, today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, Leviticus 19.18. This is going to sound very familiar to you. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The love your neighbor as yourself part is the part that I'm pretty confident um, sounds very, very familiar. Love your neighbor. But love your neighbor is set here in Leviticus 19 in the context of not holding a sin against someone else, not not seeking revenge, not holding a grudge. Is that the way that you think about loving your neighbor? Do not allow offense to take bitter root um, between you and them. Instead, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. How do we do that? How do we be fast to forgive and opt out of offense and give generously as we recognize the blessings of God that are intended to flow through us into the lives of those around us, a.k.a. our neighbors? Jesus actually makes reference to um, this the command in Leviticus to love the neighbor um, when he is asked, what is the first and greatest commandment? So in Mark 12, one, this is one of the places you would find it in the New Testament, Uh, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So as people who are compelled by love and desire to please God, we want to do what God commands. And to my count, there are eight times in the Bible that God instructs us to love our neighbor. And and in in the mouth of Jesus, he commands us to love our neighbor. Jesus actually puts it second on the list. Second only to loving the Lord our God. James um, calls it the royal law. So what does it mean? I mean, what does it mean to love our neighbor? I mean, it might seem obvious that we can only give to others what we have in turn already received. We can only give what we possess. And so in order to love ourselves and love our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to have to receive God's love first. Like we're going to have to get to the place where we recognize 
We are the object of God's love. God loves you. You are the object of God's love. I mean, yes, we are to love God, but we can only love God if we have, in fact, already received the love of God. God offers himself. He goes first when it comes to love. First John 4.10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So before you uh, get out there into the world that God so loves and try to uh, represent Christ and love neighbor as self, I want you to sit for a moment and acknowledge that God is the source of love. God is love. And then allow yourself to be loved by God today. We cannot give to others what we have not, in fact, received. So will you let yourself be loved today? Yes, we want to love neighbor, give grace, be quick to forgive, show compassion, walk in humility, speak kindly, take no offense, give generously, look out for their well-being, serve them sacrificially and joyfully, and weep with them when they weep and rejoice with them when they rejoice and celebrate and grieve. But first, we, we have to be loved. So allow yourself to be loved. And then before you head out to love neighbor as you love self, let me encourage you to get dressed. Yep, you heard me right. Get dressed. Put on love. Colossians three twelve to 17. Put on love. Don't, don't let your love be a put on. Put on love. Spend a little time in Colossians 3, 12 to 17 in preparation to love neighbor as self today. Hey, Jeff Bilbro is going to join us next. We're going to talk about um, what's going on across the country, the rise of the religious nuns, the, de- the, the decline of Christianity, and what, um, what all of that says maybe about, about us as Christians in the culture today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Bilbro is back. You can find him at Grove City College. You can also find him at jeffbilbro.com. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Um, can you walk us through this religionunplugged.com um, article, why survey data of religious nuns um, the, and the decline of Christianity, like why it differs? What, what, are, what are we seeing here? Yeah, one thing I like about Ryan is he is one of these sociologists who uses uh, polls and uh, you know tries to discern what's going on, but he also recognizes that they are really flawed instruments, and particularly in the last uh, couple of the last decade or so, they ha- have shown themselves to be unreliable, especially when talking about people's religious affiliation. So. Uh, something is going on, right? Clearly, there are shifts in how Americans, um, how, how often they go to church, how much they identify with a particular denomination or uh, religious tradition. But what exactly is going on and where the shifts lie is harder to, harder to discern. I think one of the things he talks about is how if you just ask people whether they are members at a church, that is not necessarily indicative because uh, a lot of young you know, millennials and younger um, 
attend church still, but won't actually become formal members. So mm-hmm. what membership means has changed. And people who might be members don't attend. So what does that mean? Um, you know, I think we saw some polling out this week about how many evangelical Christians don't believe that Jesus is God. And it's like, I don't know, in the 30s or 40s percentage point range. So clearly, uh, all of these polls, I think, have to be um, taken with a few grains of salt. I see, I mean, I see evidence of what Ryan Burge is talking about um, in this piece. And again, if you're listening right now and you want the link to the article that we're discussing, all of the links are always in the show notes um, every single day um, at MyFaithRadio.com. So um, later when the show is posted, you can you can grab all of these links there as well. Um, but this piece is is entitled, Why Survey Data of Religious Nuns, Decline of Christianity Differs. Ryan Burge is the, is the author Jeff Bilbro and I are are discussing it. We've both read it, and I I absolutely um, see evidence in in those around me, particularly those in their twenties and thirties. I see absolute evidence of what he's talking about. Those who um, are active in churches but do not are, are not members, do not join. Those who consider themselves Christians and don't go to church at all. Those who might say they are Christians but are certainly not living as such, and certainly not voting in ways that would reflect um, necessarily a biblical worldview. And so, um, well, and then those who say they have no faith and yet live pretty morally responsible lives. Like it's an, it's a, it's a very interesting time to be alive. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think there's also trends that are going on that might not show up in these polls right now, but are uh, important nonetheless in terms of say, um, a real commitment of, among many evangelicals to recovering church traditions, to um, taking up uh, maybe ancient practices of, of the Christian faith and finding you know, ways to make those live again. So I think sometimes in these moments of sorting, you know, where, where uh, Christian faith is, is examined, some people look to deepen their faith and um, own that the Christian tradition more fully uh, for themselves. So I think that's a really encouraging thing, right? When it's less of a cultural background and more something that we have to um, choose explicitly for ourselves. Um, I'm looking forward to your reflections uh, in the coming weeks <laughs> on um, on comments like the strikingly Christian funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah. Um, the Christian themes at yeah. the heart of uh, the funeral sermon, the ser- funeral sermon. I'm like, it, it, why? Why is the secular press so surprised that a Christian no. had a Christian funeral? Like, I, anyway, I, I guess they thought a yeah. state funeral should not um, should not actually be uh, aligned with the faith of the person. Um, it, it just is a anyway, that whole thing is curious to me. And I look forward to your reflecting on it because I feel like I feel like you will. Uh, Jeff Bilbro and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Um, is there work of mourning? Is there actual like value in mourning as we have with the world turned our attention to the death of Queen Elizabeth as a nation spent 10 days in formal mourning? What does that mean? I mean, when you see flags lowered to half mast, do you enter into the work of mourning? Are you mourning with those around you? We're going to continue that conversation in just a moment.
You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Welcome to the First Church of Mercy, where the doors of love swing open wide. No matter who you are, no matter what Continuing our conversation with Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College, you can find him at jeffbilbro.com, the Front Porch Republic, where he aggregates for us the Water Dipper. On the Water Dipper or at the Water Dipper, you can find the work of mourning. It is... Um, it is a piece by is it Scruton Roger Scruton, yep. um, in in the uh, upcoming October issue of First Things. Talk talk with us about the um, significance of mourning and um, why why it is of necessity that we not only individually mourn but attend to the mourning um, collectively. Yeah, and I think your reference to Queen Elizabeth's funeral a few moments ago is apt in framing this piece because, uh, you know, we sometimes have a uh, reluctance uh, to embrace traditional, particularly Christian forms of mourning and uh, remembering the dead and celebrating their lives. Um, But Roger Scruton, who just passed away last year, uh, talks about the deep human need to uh, have rituals that honor the life of, uh, of our loved ones, and, and allow us to work through and process grief, right? I mean, Christians have this awkward understanding of death in that it is an enemy, and we should mourn um, the, the lives that it takes away, and we can't jump too quickly to the celebration of the resurrection and our hope um, for the life to come without first, I think, acknowledging and sitting uh, for a time with uh, the real loss that death marks. So we have to do both and not just jump over morning and try to um, pretend that death is not a, uh, a real, uh, real tragedy. So actually, in, um, uh, in the last half hour today, so not in this hour, but in the next hour of the show, um, and in the last half hour of that, we're going to talk with Tim Challies um, mm. about the loss of his son. Um, he has a he has a book now called Seasons of Sorrow that actually, I mean, he he shares what he wrote during you know during that first year following the death of Nick, and it is um, it is it is a window into faithful grief and faithful mourning and the real questions of fear and doubt and what it's like to process as a as a dad and a pastor and a family and very publicly. And um, it just, yeah. So a window into the work of mourning in his own life and in his own family through that first year of grief. Um, We used to, we used to allow people a year, like we used to genuinely allow people a full year. I think we like allow them like a minute now. Yeah. And I think you see with the queen's funeral again, you know, the morning dresses, the rituals, the, uh, the patterns of giving us space and time to to honor that sorrow. And I think there is something to be said for public patterns of uh, mourning so that we can give each other space to be sad and to mourn. And that that's a, 
healthy and necessary part of confronting the enemy of death. Yeah, and the morning with I think is yeah. um, is a, is a critical part of this as well. Yeah. Like we 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 don't just rejoice with those who rejoice. We genuinely grieve with those who grieve. And what it means to attend to grief, not just observe grief, but attend to grief to walk with one another into and through and then back out of the valley of the shadow of death and how long that takes and how um, sometimes quiet we must be along the way. Um, resisting the temptation to speak when we ought not to, but but then also, um, you know, when the Holy Spirit nudges to speak when we should, like it's, um, there's, there is something here to be learned as a, as a discipline of the Christian faith when we talk about the work of mourning. Yeah, and clearly, as you said, part of that is, maybe the, the key part of that is being present with one another and not um, running away from those who are afflicted, uh, but being sensitive, but being present there and coming together. Because I think in those times we've all experienced the the real, our, our need for one another and our need for, for companionship to, to walk that difficult mm-hmm. journey of grief. So good. All right, we commend to you uh, the work of Mourning by Roger Scruton. You can find the link at the Water Dipper on Front Porch Republic. Um, we'll also post it in today's show notes. Um, talk with us about parenting culture um, and what it means for parenting culture to be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, Jim Dalrymple has this great essay about, I think he combines a couple different things, but I think it's astute. Both uh, the anxieties that many American parents feel about which college their children will get into and um, getting them launched on a lucrative professional career. And also the um, kind of safetyism that prevails in certain parenting circles where, you know, kids can't be on their own. Um, they, they can't play on certain kinds of playgrounds because it might be too risky. Um, they can't, you know, just be off doing kid things in the woods anymore. Uh, instead, we have to have all these activities for them and uh, have very carefully regimented lives so that they'll be able to get into these good colleges, right? And he points out that uh, in many ways, kids' lives have become much safer. And yet, on the other hand, we can we have more fears for our kids uh, than previous generations did. So there's an odd gap between reality and perception. And I think part of this is just a need to recognize that we can't uh, control the future. And there's no technique for ensuring um, that our kids will have quote-unquote success. And being okay with that and, um, I guess, trusting Providence substantially more and recognizing that there are many pathways uh, to a faithful life can take some of the pressure off. Uh, and, and also uh, give children the freedom and space they need to develop and to take risks and to make mistakes and to to get hurt um, because that's a necessary part of growing up. Yeah, um, when I think about full maturity and I think about what it means to grow up into Christ um, in all ways, you know, to full maturity, I think that there are parents who are robbing their children of um, of that. Like, right, we, we, we seem to want so many things that are of this world that we fail to recognize you know, the need for kids to develop actually their own problem-solving skills, to have yeah. their own personal motivation, to be able to make simple life decisions, to 
um, be capable of asking questions and asking for help, to have healthy coping mechanisms, to be resilient. Like, right, we rob them of all of that if we not only plow the ground in front of them, but make sure that, you know, they never stumble over over a pebble or fall into a hole. Um, and so I think that, um, yeah, I, I just think that this this article is right on and good fodder for conversation for parents and grandparents and, um, you know, people in uh, ministry of all kinds related to children today. Really, really helpful. So thanks so much for drawing our attention to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Jeff, um, blessings on you as you uh, go forth today to do all the good that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Thank you for helping us to prepare as well in this conversation. That's Jeff Bilbro. You can find him at Grove City College and at the Front Porch Republic. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. I will trust Okay, I'm having a, this is Carmen LaBerge. Uh, this is Faith Radio. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm having this ridiculous, like, reverse parenting experience right now in this moment. So my mom, who's 84, and my stepdad, who is going to be 89 in November, are currently at the airport in Atlanta. Um, and they are headed for, uh, they're going on this Canadian adventure with these friends who are also in their 80s. Um, and I'm worried because, you know, they're headed into, like, a potential hurricane. Um, they're leaving the country. Um, and I, so they're, that they're, they're having a great time, like at the gate in Atlanta. And I'm like, I just sent this message. Okay. Have fun. Make memories. Take pictures. Behave yourself, especially Mac. Cause Mac is their like naughty friend that they're with. And then I just realized, okay, now I am like trying to parent the 80 year olds. So there you go. This whole, um, parenting thing comes for full circle in our lives. <clears throat> Ruth Ann, Ron, Joy, Mac, behave yourselves. Don't make me have to come and get you. Like, that would be terrible. All right. So um, if you're listening in Canada, uh, look out. Uh, the, the old Americans are headed your, <laughs> headed your way uh, for a Canadian adventure. All right. Um, next up, we are going to talk with Ruth Kramer. This is our, our time that we survey what's happening in the world. It's, a, it's always a serious conversation, but part of what we're seeking to do is understand how Christians around the world are responding um, to the emerging needs in, you know, in every place under the sun. So um, just quickly here before we jump to our conversation with Ruth, I'm going to give you an update on what's happening in Ukraine. Russia is actually attempting to annex, like officially uh, annex through um, referendums, portions of eastern and southern Ukraine. They're trying to get um, people there to take, quote unquote, you know, democratic votes to say that they want to be a part of Russia, that they are Russian. So these four Russian occupied regions are going to be forced to hold referendums this week on whether to, quote, join Russia. Now, those votes are being facilitated by um, Moscow. Um, they are certainly expected to pass, but obviously widely viewed as a sham. So um, this is going to create a, a potentially the scenario where Russia says that these portions of Ukraine are now Russian and therefore any presence or activity of um, Western people or forces would be seen as NATO being on Russian soil. You see the potential conflict, right? Yeah, so let's be praying on that front. 
Ruth Kramer up next from Mission Network News. We're going to check out what is going on in Iran, Saudi Arabia, um, and several other places around the world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Ruth Kramer joins us again from Mission Network News. You can find all the stories we're discussing today at missionnews.org. Ruth, welcome back. Good morning. Thank you. So um, in 1979, after the revolution in Iran, um, Sharia Islamic law was imposed. And part of that imposition was the requirement of women to cover their hair and wear long um clothes that would, you know, obscure their feminine figures. And violators face um, something that we call the morality police. Actually, Iran calls it the morality police as well. Um, Public rebuke, fines, arrest. And a woman has died um, after being in custody of the morality police for failure to wear a hijab. Talk with us about this story and, and what is going on in Iran as women are standing up and saying no more. Well, the person we're we're talking about is a 22-year-old woman, Masa Amini, and um, her death has sparked outrage and grief uh, really across many Muslim nations, but particularly uh, in in Iran. Um, There's a hashtag campaign going around it. It's been trending, and more and more protests are flaring up as a result of her death. This is a situation that the government is trying very hard to quell. Uh, many uh, there have been many protests about the anti hijab movement uh, throughout the country, and each one has been successively quelled uh, with harsher te- techniques um, by the government. And so the concern is that there there's going to be uh, a boiling over, um, a situation where uh, the the situation cannot be contained anymore, and the social media is ac- actually adding kind of fuel to the fire, so to speak. Um, this is a uh, kind of highlighting the, the situation for women in Iran, um, the lack of uh, personhood, really, um, being treated as a second-class citizen in their own country, uh, really not having a lot of rights as it comes to what other women experience uh, in other nations. Um, yes, we are saying that you know, this is an Islamic republic, but um, um, Iran had boasted freedoms after the Iranian uh, revolution that didn't obviously apply to women, and we're talking um, uh, Sharia law under Sunni Islam. Um, so there's some different elements there, but more or less, you're going to see the same kinds of conservative attitudes um, that you would see in most other Muslim dominant countries. Uh, in this case, uh, ministries are telling us that this is kind of an interesting opportunity because as women. Uh, are demanding to be heard as they are asking for rights, as they are asking for freedom and liberty. Uh, Ministries are being inundated with calls uh, from women who are saying, tell me more about this Jesus. Why are Christians, why do Christians have a different point of view uh, about women than everyone else around me? How come my family views women as X, Y, Z? So, Ministries like Iran Alive, uh, Heart for Iran, even Heart for Afghanistan are finding this huge mission field right now for women's ministries, women's discipleship, and they're kind of scrambling to address the the calls for freedom and liberty uh, within a biblical context in a way that hasn't been done before 
um, where women were just calling about um, the normal kinds of things that women deal with in a Sharia country. Um, in this case, they're wanting to be much more outspoken, and um, and the, the team leaders of these discipleship ministries are finding a lot of opportunity to insert uh, not only discussions about the gospel, but also what Christ has done for them in releasing them and freeing them uh, as they come to truth. So be praying, because obviously, um, as they're looking for opportunities to introduce women uh, to freedom that comes through Christ, um, you're also going to see some kickback, because the government still remains very conservative. Um, they're the predominant pressure is coming from communities and families. So as women are searching for these truths, um, they're going to face a lot of pro a lot of pressure and possibly um, violence. And that's one of the things that uh, typically comes out when you're discussing uh, women's freedom movements, uh, like the anti-hijab movement. Um, you see a lot of very strong kickback. And sometimes you see an increase in things like honor killings, because the community uh, around them doesn't like the challenge of what this represents. The whole conversation about head coverings is probably a good one for um, Christians to biblically examine as well. I mean, there are certainly both in the Old and New Testaments um, conversations about uh, covering the head. Um, the you know Jesus becomes becomes the head, and therefore um, the the head covering is not regarded among contemporary Christians as something that is necessary. But certainly there are Bible, b biblical passages um, that that talk about the covering of the head. And so this is not um, this is not a conversation exclusive to Muslims. This is a conversation among Jews. This is a conversation among Christians. And so a worthy one for us to be considering just in our own life of discipleship, even as we um, watch and uh, and prayerfully lift up those who are engaged right now in um, what is a, a real fight for liberty, not just religious liberty, but liberty in general for um, women living in um, uh, Islamist countries. I think I'll describe it that way. Um, talk with us, Ruth, about what's going on in Saudi Arabia. Again, this is another women's issue where um, a woman was sentenced to 45 years in, in prison for social media posts. Um, she's been accused of terrorism. She's actually been convicted of terrorism in Saudi Arabia, using the internet to tear down social fabric uh, and violating public order by using social media. Um, this is just a, a, an ugly situation where she was protesting something. She was sort of critical of a government official, a government policy, and now she's being charged. They're using uh, the government's using counterterrorism law and anti-cybercrime law against her, which can criminalize any posting um, that is even remotely critical of the government. Um, that it's a woman that was behind the criticism adds more fuel to the fire. So it's it's you know uh, a very difficult situation. Um, it's also connected. I mean, it's impossible not to connect those dots to, to uh, President Biden's meeting of the crown prince. And um, there has been a, a notable uptick in repressive attacks in the in the response against uh, religious uh, freedom, against uh, just freedom of speech issues. So as we are looking at this uh, situation, you're looking at uh, kind of a double whammy. You for for this particular woman, it's she's a woman. Um, she she spoke out. The government's cracking down on her. Uh, it's a it's a freedom of speech issue. Um, in some situations where you have believers who are also speaking out, the concern is that uh, you're going to have 
even more uh, pressure coming down on people who speak out. Um, this is uh, without without the freedom to speak your mind, without the freedom of speech, without the freedom of religion, uh, the whole order of society actually breaks down. And so we want to be joining the ministries that are working in this area because there are ministries that are succeeding, uh, albeit in a very difficult, complex situation. Um, pray for the converts from Sunni Islam to Christianity. Persecution often comes from their families. I ask God to fill those new believers with peace. Um, pray that the, the ministries that are in these areas uh, have creative wisdom as they continue to deal with some of the trickiest politics, I think, uh, next to what might be happening in North Korea. Yeah, I think this highlights the kind of perennial um, debate that exists, like should a society emphasize freedom, um, which is going to require that um, the people be a moral people who show self-restraint, um, right, and responsibility. So that's those are societies that are, you know, governed in freedom. Or are, is your society going to be... Um, authoritarian, you know, governed by constraint. And and so it's um if people are not going to be literally self-governed, uh, which means that we we have freedoms but we do not use our freedoms as license, um it's going to require a particular kind of morality. And I think so it's a complicated conversation that gets to the religious um gets to the religious portion pretty quickly when we talk about any of these uh, any of these stories Iran or Saudi Arabia or um other places where you know the the religious atmosphere is so different than it is here in the United States and therefore so is the morality and therefore so um are the laws i mean it just um all of these things are interconnected and interrelated and Christians operating in these spheres not only need our prayers but you know need our um like our understanding, our willingness to understand the context in which they live and operate. It's very different than here in the United States of America. Yeah, I, I couldn't say it better. Oh, well, that says a lot, Ruth. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> All right. Um, Ruth Kramer and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We're going to talk about something happening here in the United States in just, in, in just a minute. But first, um, we are going to um, pivot to what is going on not only um, in Ukraine, but around Central Asia, like because of Ukraine. We're going to hear updates from um, the Slavic Gospel Association. We're going to retouch on the topics that we discussed Monday with Mindy Bells, what's happening in Armenia and Azerbaijan, um, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, on and on and on, um, and certainly touch on what's happening in Ukraine and Christ how Christians are responding there. More with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run too far to still be the same. 
Continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, you can find what we're discussing today at missionnews.org. Ruth, um, all attention, right, has been uh, fixed upon Ukraine and what Russia is not only doing but threatening now to do in relationship uh, to Ukraine. But around the region, that has meant that bad actors have uh, seized the opportunity to um, take advantage. So can you talk with us about what is happening um, with the Armenian people uh, and the nation of Azerbaijan? All I can say is that it's been really chaotic in Russia's sphere of influence right now. Um, Mm. You know, you've got this historic tension between Armenia and Azerbaijan because it's not just the disputed territories. It's also sectarian. Uh, It's it's more than tribal. There's also this history that tends to see Armenian as Christian and Azerbaijan as predominantly Muslim. So now you have a Christian Muslim kind of a conflict going on. Um, It's it's an ongoing kind of a thing. Uh, The fact that fighting has flared up yet again is really not a surprise given uh, the attention that has wandered off of that particular spotlight into other areas where Russia has been involved. A ceasefire agreement was settled, but it's not expected to last very long, typically because these agreements – haven't succeeded or held, as you've seen the different uh, attempts to stop the fighting um, go on. And, and, you know, one country uh, feels like it it gave up too much in the last time you had a ceasefire, so they want it back. And you see more of these uh, disputes continuing on um, because they go on for generations. Uh, In this situation, uh, Slavic Gospel Association has a lot of partners and a lot of like church pastors that they've been working with in these regions. And um, some of their church leaders have reported that their sons have been lost in the fighting. So mm-hmm. this is something that SGA is feeling very personally because um, they always feel it personally when you, ha- you know, you have partners that are involved in a situation and their hands and feet of Christ right in the middle of everything. But when these friends are also losing their children because of these wars, it takes on a different tone altogether. There's more investment because you know the people that are involved with this. Uh, you know the children that were involved with this. Um, so there's there's a lot of pain. There's uh, going to be a struggle with forgiveness down the line. Um, so we can be praying for the churches uh, and the ministry in this region just because there's work to be done now, but there's work to be done in the future. And nobody's really talking about that except for the ministries that are invested in these areas. Um, it's going to be a long haul to recovery and restoration in the body of Christ in that region. In Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, again, uh, disputes of the borders. You've got a ceasefire in play, but there's been more fighting in, in, since the ceasefire was was signed. Um, that's not a surprise. It's, it's probably going to be an ongoing situation there as well. SGA has work in Tajikistan because they're working with the poor communities that are nearer the border. Um, so it's been kind of touch and go for them uh, Mm -hmm. in the region because they're basically right in the middle of where all the fighting is taking place. Um, Be praying. Um, Much as we heard with SGA Ukraine, uh, where people were staying in the churches in some of the most hotly disputed regions near Crimea, um, and they were being the hands and feet of Christ where everybody else was leaving, the church pastors, the church leaders were staying put because the churches had to stay open 
to uh, take in refugees. You're seeing similar kinds of responses in Tajikistan. So continue to pray for the body of Christ in these regions. Um, aside from the politics, which are extremely difficult, uh, there's a long road ahead. Um, there's concerns about, <clears throat> excuse me, the economic issues uh, ahead because obviously the economy takes a hit when there's fighting in the region. Uh, supplies are in short. Uh, well, how do I say this? Um, food and fuel and medicine are in short supply. Uh, you wind up with power cuts. Uh, it's a very post-apocalyptic kind of thing, except they're in the middle of the apocalypse. Um, so again, be praying for the church leaders, that they uh, draw closer to Christ, that people are drawn to the hope that they have in a hopeless situation. And honestly, uh, SGA has been um, uh, giving generously to support these church leaders. So they have a crisis fund. And it's it's something that they're always putting out, so there needs to be replenishment on the other side. If you want to uh, speak into these situations, uh, you can come alongside ministries that are having effect in these areas and, and walk alongside them, pray alongside them, and support what they're doing. Yeah, you can connect with the Slavic Gospel Association um, through Mission Network News, um, and you can learn more about it, how they're sharing the gospel, equipping the church, and helping those that are often um, forgotten. Um, good good opportunity there to to um, to connect, and all of the information is at missionnews.org, linked to through each of the articles where Slavic Gospel Mission is, um, you know, quoted and referenced, uh, including the one today about how they um, have been busy in Central Asia in the midst of the fighting there. So the article you'd be looking for is Fighting Erupts Across Former Soviet Union. And again, it's at missionnews.org. Back here to the United States, just briefly, um, Ruth, for a moment. Um, you had the opportunity to talk with and interview Ron Hutchcraft for a story at Mission News. Um, and and it's a, a wonderful opportunity to talk about how COVID really did provide opportunities for ministries um, that were unanticipated. Talk about the Summer of Hope 2022. Yeah, On Eagle's Wings is a division of Ron Hutchcraft Ministries that focuses on First Nation, on First Nation youth specifically, because of all of the challenges that are in uh, that that are posed to that generation. Um, it, the the ministry sharing the gospel you know, on Native American uh, reservations is very very hard. Um, and in the process of, of being separated out because of COVID and how hard uh, the First Nation uh, was affected, how, how deeply they were affected by the lack of everything um, during COVID has led to a lot of bitterness in the country in, in within the First Nation. So efforts to bring the hope of Jesus back into the reservations after COVID lockdowns have lifted have uh, been met with even harder hearts. Because a lot of what they're they're talking about uh, has a genera uh, generational animosity. You know, people are uh, looking at the historic atrocities that were committed against the indigenous people, indigenous children, in the name of Christianity, and so that's fueled the animosity and anger. Um, it makes the Christians the enemy, and so they've had a real challenge this year. And COVID was not supposed to be part of that anymore, but it actually. Uh, shut down the first half of the summer's ministry because someone came down, you know, tested positive. And so everything kind of um, shifted 
to some of the hardest spots to reach later in the summer. And they said it was it was a good thing, actually, because the timing allowed them more time to prepare for the animosity they were going to encounter when they went to these uh, specific reservations. Um, what's interesting is, you know, there's there are some stories that were being shared that make it sound like these things are happening in another country. Um, mm. So during the Summer of Hope outreach, uh, a team of Native American believers went to some of the reservations and shared how the Lord changed their lives. That That's really one thing. It's a peer-to-peer kind of uh, storytelling. And they're saying, this is what Jesus Christ did for me. And it has a powerful effect on other young people because they're seeing, you know, people who look like them, who sound like them, who have shared traditions saying, I came to Christ. I gave my heart to Jesus and this is what he did for me. Um, One location even had a people group that were some of the first to have a Bible in their language. So you have this this interesting dynamic here, um, and and this particular reservation is one that had been prayed for uh, by a native couple um, for years uh, because it is so difficult to reach. And so the On Eagles Wings team came in there, and they shared the gospel, and when they described what Christ did for them, dozens of young people came forward to give their hearts to Christ. And that's an awesome thing, but mm-hmm. this, is a, this is part of another story where um, traditions are uh, very strong in that tribe. And when one of the young people who gave their heart to Christ uh, attended church that following Sunday, this person was attacked by members of the tribe who were very angry that um, this person had betrayed the nation's religion and tribe and, um, and beat this person. And when the police came to address the, the situation and saw the injuries, they sided with the attackers. Again, mm. this is something you you feel like you'd hear in Pakistan or somewhere in India, and this is happening, you know, on our shores within within the United States. Uh, in, in a time that we would, I think, be surprised that this uh, kind of uh, community animosity against uh, the gospel exists, and yet it's not surprising, um, and. Even more amazing is what God does through these stories of people that have come to him uh, in in brokenness and repentance, and he restores them and uh, gives them a hope that just shines through their person and and comes out in their story. And that's what's so attractive, that other people are coming to Christ. So it doesn't come without a lot of prayer cover. Uh, It doesn't come without a lot of... um, discipleship because they're they're facing incredible pressure they're facing this pressure of turning their back on their community or having their community turn their backs on them and it's very similar to what we're hearing when we talk about um, blasphemy laws in other countries or um, uh, well mostly the blasphemy laws um, or anytime you, you hear about a Muslim background believer and all of the challenges they face. These are the things that are being described to us, uh, that are being uh, told to us by the On Eagles Wings team as they minister to First Nation youth. So we hmm. just want to say continue to pray for the On Eagles Wings team, continue to pray for the new believers, the baby Christians on these reservations because they're facing the biggest challenge of their life. Mm, Ruth, we got to leave it right there. Thank you, as always, for joining us. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.